This is the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. Hi, everyone. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to episode 198 of the Wealth Standard Podcast. And today is going to be an interesting one. We uh, may get off the rails with uh, topics like Tesla and cryptocurrency, yeah. such as Bitcoin. But these are these are things that are really in the news and we haven't touched on that that much. And so I thought I'd bring in my, uh, my good buddy, Connor, from uh, Libertas Institute. See, I learned how to... Pronounce. You did it correct. I learned how to pronounce. Yeah. Nice. I totally botched it the last Old time. Old dogs can learn new <laughs> tricks, despite what they say. But Connor was on a few, uh, maybe a month, month, month and a half, a yeah. couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, I love that one. We actually broke it into two episodes just because we, you know, talked for talked forever. So hopefully yeah. we don't have to, well, your time can be long-winded. But yeah, so can I. It's, da- it's dangerous when you put two long-winded people together. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think you know, you've you've been talking a lot about cryptocurrency lately. And you know, Tesla, I think there is a somewhat of a unique situation going on in, in Utah when it comes to Tesla. They sure. you know, were uh they, they weren't able to, you know, establish what they wanted to as far as the dealership is concerned. Uh, but also the the crypto the cryptocurrency, mainly uh, Bitcoin, and I know there's a, some other kind of derivatives of that that have uh, really gone crazy these last uh, last couple of weeks i definitely wanted to talk about that because i don't i know a little bit about it but i want to know more and yeah. so i brought you brought you here to happy teach to be me, here to i'm school, excited to school me school to school me on the philosophy of crypto cryptocurrency Let's do it. and then i can maybe throw a few angles at you throw some curveballs i like it see what you're uh yeah See if you can take my left-handed curveball. Sounds good. <laughs> I am prepared. I think. Okay, so maybe. let's let's maybe let's get into maybe Tesla first. That's kind of a neat, that's an okay. easy one, right? So yeah. maybe explain because I know that it wasn't just Utah that had this issue, but you you essentially had uh, Tesla. Their business model isn't to really have a lot of cars at their dealership, correct? Yeah, right. Right. So they brought in a, a somewhat unique business model where they may have a few cars where you can test drive, et cetera, but essentially you order right. the car at uh, an iPad or a kiosk or whatever, and then they you know, essentially ship it to you, right? So there were some people in Utah that had issue with that, that business model. So I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And you're right to point out this is not just about Utah. This mm-hmm. is happening elsewhere. But uh, and here in Utah where we're located, what you found was the entrenched opposition came out in Right. So they hired the car dealership association representing all the traditional car dealers see Tesla as a threat to their business model correctly. Right. It is. Uh, If Tesla were to take off and cannibalize a lot of that market share. Right. That's a a disadvantage to the established players. So rather than competing, rather than adapting, rather than uh, engaging them in the market, um, they went to the capital. Mm -hmm. What's interesting and what you have oftentimes, not just with Tesla and car dealerships. You have it with taxis, right? And uh, and Uber, Uber and Lyft. Yep. You have it with uh, zoning ordinances and Airbnb, Airbnb. or yeah. VRBO. So what you find is these regulations that were created for a day that has long since passed mm-hmm. in which you had these, you know, uh, allegedly predatory corporations taking advantage of the little guy. And that was the allegation with the car dealership laws. Mm-hmm. They're saying, look, we were really worried that the big uh, automobile manufacturers were a threat to the individual car owners, but also the dealers. And so what they ended up creating was this regime in which um, dealers could not be manufacturers. You couldn't have a a GM 
come in and open up a dealership because mm-hmm. they wanted the dealers wanted to kind of carve out a protection so that the very entities from which they purchased their vehicles could not compete their against competition. them as dealers. Got it. And so you had this regime created that's been around for a while, but then you have Tesla come around that wants to be the manufacturer and the dealer because mm-hmm. they're direct to consumer. Yep. And so it's a new business model that doesn't fit in this antiquated uh, regulatory regime. Mm. And because of that, you now have an opportunity for the car dealers in this case to go up and lobby to try and protect that regime. Mm. They're not necessarily saying this is a wonderful thing. It should remain as is. They just like it because it benefits them yep. and it excludes their competition. And this is where you kind of, you really start to draw the line where, you know, you have this idea of capitalism, right? And we, and there's this, we don't really live in that type of society, right? Because in a kind of purely capitalistic society, you'd be able to have both parties compete, right? Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to kind of go and hire a lobbyist and then go up and have a politician pass a law or protect the law in, in your favor, right? right? But that's what we that's what we have, not just at the local level, but at the federal level too, right? So look, so what, what's happened uh, with other uh, other places in the country where, you know, Tesla had a hard time opening up uh, their, you know, dealerships? Uh, what happened in Utah too? I want to hear about that. Well, the, the Utah case, I think, is rather interesting because it's not only is, is it recent, but it really clarifies the problem. So uh, obviously the reason why there was that battle is that there was one legislator who wanted to basically legalize Tesla and say, mm-hmm. we should be open to this. This is progress. This yeah. is the free market. And so uh, her name was rep- is Representative Kim Coleman. So mm-hmm. she ran a bill a few years ago, a couple years ago, trying to do this. And that gave a nexus for the opposition to come in and buy the most uh, networked lobbyists and, and really uh, try and shut the bill down, which they were successful in doing. But mm-hmm. it was interesting. Here in Utah, unlike many other states, we have a part of our state constitution that says something like, uh, it is the public policy of the state of Utah that a free market system shall be required. Mm-hmm. And, da, 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 and then it goes on from there. So here's Representative Coleman. She's on the floor of the House of Representatives. All her colleagues are about to vote on this bill. There's been a debate. She's pitching everybody on you know the, the talking points of this proposal. Yeah. Everyone, all the opposition has kind of, you know, aired their concern. And she ends her presentation by reading that portion of the Constitution. Like, look, everybody, we're supposed to have a free market. This bill gets us there. Mm -hmm. Please vote for this bill. And then it went to the vote and then it died. Uh, The the very people who had sworn in an oath to uphold the Constitution, including the requirement for a free market, didn't uh, didn't do it. So then it went to court. It went to the state Supreme Court. And just a few weeks ago, um, the state Supreme Court ruled that they couldn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they gave was that provision of the Constitution that I just mentioned. It's what Tesla's attorneys were arguing based on saying like, well, look, free market, we, you know, these regulations got to go. They hinder the market. The Supreme Court had a rather narrow ruling and they said, well, we actually can't uh, rule in your favor because even though the constitution says that, the constitution, that part of the constitution does not have a mechanism by which we can do anything about it. It's just a policy statement. It's not, uh, <laughs> therefore, this shall happen. And so basically our own state Supreme Court said, you know, I'm sorry, your cause may be just, but I can't help you. See you later. And so that created a really interesting dynamic where at the end of the day, now there's going to be another legislative attempt, mm-hmm. you know, because of that failure. So in different states, obviously, everything's at different stages. And in a lot of states, it's not a problem at all. But but broadly speaking, nationally, you have a lot of these laws where what you find is that when some of these laws get passed, they just get copied and pasted in other states. Like, oh, hey, that's a good idea. So we'll do something like that. Instead too. of doing the work. Yep. Right. And so you see this carried out in a lot of different um, states. It's not just a Utah. So, what did, so Tesla, I know they're still here and I know they opened up uh, kind of another 
another facility just around the corner from where their dealership is. So right. what did they what did they end up doing? Do you so know they can technically fall under like a used car dealer. And so they can <laughs> sell used Tesla cars, right, rather than new cars. Um, and so they're trying to kind of find the wiggle room around it. But yeah, they opened up this, this dealership, this uh, store in good faith. Um, and again, the question becomes, who is harmed by Tesla operating? If anything, it's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. People are benefited. People yep. want this. There's a market demand. Um, and of course, you get a lot of the fear mongering on the other side where they say, well, how are people going to get their car service? And what about this, that, and the other? And it's all these arguments that are, I think, specious at best. Yeah. When you kind of peel that layer away, you really realize the people making those arguments are just using those as a way to generate sympathy when at yeah. the end of the day, they care they care only about their bottom well, line. Well, this is the, I mean, it's the nature of innovation, right? Innovation is always going to be uh, disruptive. Mm-hmm. And if you look at competition, competition always ends in inefficiency, right? If you have the proper environment. And that's what's interesting is a lot of the, the uh, car manufacturers and car dealers, I mean, they're looking at the different trends that are going on when it comes to transportation. And I think there are a lot of people in, in the entire world that are gravitating toward more efficient transportation, whether it's riding their bike, whether it's taking public transit, and of course, using you know electric electric cars. So here's another example that I'm thinking of is Maybe at one point in time, those car dealership laws made sense. Maybe the the society was structured in such a way back before I was born where there's a justification for it, right? But I think about that with something called occupational licensure laws, Mm -hmm. right? These are laws where um, if you want to engage in a licensed profession, you have to jump through the hoops. You have to get a license, which requires a certain type of degree and a certain number of hours and mm. you got to pay a fee and okay, pass there's, a a, there's a food service there's a food service license here in utah right? yeah yep. but i mean there's tons right obviously yep. physicians and attorneys and yeah. cpas Attorney, but yeah. massage therapists mm-hmm. and landscape architects and so this has actually become a big problem where in the 1950s uh in america the number was actually about one in 20 okay so one in 20 americans about half a century ago as a condition of working in their chosen profession, had to get a permission slip from the government, one in mm-hmm. 20. That number today, a little over half a century later, has gone from one in 20 to one in three. Oh my gosh. So we live in a society where more and more people have to seek the, you know, the permission of the government to do what they want. Now, the reason I bring this up is I think there's kind of a connection between the Tesla thing. Maybe car dealership laws made sense once, once upon a time. Maybe occupational licensure laws made sense once upon a time when out of a out of a desire to um, protect the consumer, you want the government as this third party to kind of certify that they know what they're doing. Yep. If they're going to cut me open, I want to make sure they passed the a test. Yeah. They've studied enough, right? And so that makes sense. But uh, for example, now with the internet, you anything you buy on Amazon, you look at the rating, right? Any um, person you employ, college professors, you go to Mm ratemyprofessor.com, right? We live in a a day when people have this information to make informed decisions on their own. So whether it's them getting, buying a Tesla Mm -hmm. and understanding the the nuance and the risk and the, the potential of doing that transaction directly themselves or hiring someone to pour a concrete pad in their backyard, like we, so we, I bring that up because we did that two months ago. Mm. I don't care if they had a license. I wanted to see their examples. I wanted to see references. I wanted to see. And you have the technology nowadays to, right. to find that information out yourself. Yeah. I used a service called Thumbtack mm. where they had uh, been employed by a bunch of people through the system who had then rated them. Mm. There were photos of past jobs. All his info was there. 
Um, I didn't care if you had a license. So we live in a day where I don't think licensure laws make sense anymore. Yeah. I think we live in a day where we can now transact a little bit more directly mm-hmm. one with another, which we'll carry over later in our cryptocurrency discussions. We don't need these intermediaries anymore. We don't need these bureaucrats to sit in the middle of us. Well, it, I can't remember who said whose quote it was. It's like the closest thing to eternity is a government program. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, it was Reagan. That's what I thought. Yep. And it, and that's that's the that's the downside is there are a lot of regulations out there and they continue to pass more and more and more of them while the others continue to just stay stay in place. Yeah. And the outdating is obviously proven by some of the examples we're using today. But really looking at the future, things are going so quickly. What do you see as how the government's going to deal with laws that are uh, in place right now that may have, because because the people that are really testing those that want a food license or want to be a chiropractor or want to, you know, pass a board, I mean, those are, that's employing people, right? That's mainly sure. the, you know, really the thing that's stuck in the ground, the stake in the ground where yeah. you don't want to like remove jobs, right? Associated right. with, you know, those licensing bureaus or whatever. Right. So what do you see as a future that's, that's going to happen? Do you think it's going to get easier just because there's so much innovation going on? Or do you think that we're, we're going to be running into a lot of these roadblocks? I, I think, I think progress is inevitable mm-hmm. as kind of a general rule, but Getting between here and there, I think it comes down to people, right? Because that's if we're protecting jobs, those are people, oh, oh, I don't want Bob to lose his job. I feel sympathy for Bob. Um, And so there has to be kind of a transition. I think there has to be attrition. I think there has to be kind of a a process to get us there. But I think if you look at Uber's strategy, this was genius. So we here in Utah, we broke the story a few years back when uh, Salt Lake County, Salt Lake City, was fining drivers $6,500 for driving Uber and Lyft because of the taxi laws and uh, the transportation laws around the airport. So these they, they, had, they literally had government employees using the app to get a ride, and as soon as they would get dropped off, they would you know, give pay the person in the app and give them a ticket. <laughs> now, Uber's strategy was genius because, and this was in their playbook. They were doing this not just in Utah, but elsewhere. They had raised up enough capital where they told their drivers in places like Utah, $6,500. The, the story we we broke, the, the uh, that we ran with to kind of um, expose what was happening was a single mom right, who was doing this, she couldn't afford 6,500 bucks, but Uber's strategy was they paid for the citations. They told their drivers, oh, just keep going. We'll, we'll pay for the fine, no big deal, right? So Uber had raised enough money to do this. Well, the reason why that relates to your question of what that transition is to, uh, you know, for these disruptive technologies is that when Uber had done this for a while, they had a constituency. They weren't, they weren't this new company saying, you know, mother, may I please operate in your city? Because they have no constituency, they have no leverage, they have, you know, nothing. Uh, but here they were, they had been operating for at least months, if not longer, in Utah. They had drivers, they had passengers, they had passionate people here where that force could go and be a counterbalancing political force mm. against the entrenched opposition. And so I think that's what we need. Is we, uh, Here's another example. I just learned of this service two weeks ago. It's called Josephine. I don't know if you ever heard mm. of this before. Um, I hadn't. It's it's basically like Airbnb or Uber, but for food. So rather than going to a restaurant, um, you can order a home cooked meal from yeah. someone on yeah. Josephine, who is you know already cooking dinner for their family or whatever, and they say, hey, on Tuesday I'm going to make you know fajitas, and on Wednesday it'll be stroganoff, and here's the yeah, price, yeah. and here are your options. It's genius, yep. right? Um, and a great way for people to earn a little extra money. 
in Utah, like in other states, it's taken off a little more, especially California. Yeah, um, and New to, York too. Yeah. New York. Yeah. And so uh, in Utah, there's only one person in all of Utah oh that's gosh. that's cooking. Huh. So I went over and I bought some of her food. She's from Palestine. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, her name is Enos. You can go find her uh, on Josephine. Buy her some food. Tell her I sent you. <laughs> and... Uh, and I asked her the other day when I picked up this food. She's just doing it for fun because she yeah. loves to cook yeah. and everything. So she doesn't like need the money. But here's here's the thing where that's actually, I think, illegal. I think technically because she doesn't have a commercial grade kitchen and all this stuff. She has a food handler's permit, but those are relatively easy to get. Limited, yeah. And uh, and so if, if Josephine were to come into Utah and say, hey, we want to disrupt your entire regulatory model and allow anyone to cook for anybody else, you know, that's going to have a ton of opposition from all the restaurant folks who have all the regulations say, hey, we have to comply with this. She should too. Whereas if there's like, you know, 80 cooks on Josephine and all these people who have benefited from those now meals. You, now there's clout. Yeah. Now there's clout. Now there's that counterbalancing force. So I think I think what we need in disruption is these constituencies who can be head to head against the opposition. If, if disruption goes in and just says, hey, can we please have permission to do this? It's not going to happen. You just mm. need to start doing it like Uber did. You know, regulations be damned mm. basically and trudge forward and say, we're doing the right thing. We're helping people out. We'll deal with those regulations once we have to go to blows. But for the meantime, Let's just go help people. Yeah, it's interesting. I was at Dreamforce in San Francisco, it was like probably three years ago, mm-hmm. and Benioff, like in his main kind of keynote, spotlighted that type of that type of company. And I heard like their servers crash because of oh, really? the publicity that they got. But I look, I remember looking, and they didn't have anything anything in Utah. But that is, it does go to those local laws. Where I mean, I understand there's a time and a place for it, but right now, yeah, it's definitely in the way of of innovation. And there's there's a lot of that. So do you think like with Uber, with Josephine, with uh, Airbnb, with a a lot of these, you know, groups that have really kind of towed the line with existing legislation, do you think it's going to get easier or do you think that it's going to, we're just still going to kind of push up against it? I mean, obviously there's con- the constituency and building some momentum sure. behind it. Do you think it's ever just going to get easier? Because this one right now only has one, so they can easily like right. shut her, shut her down. I think the benefit though that we have is you just rattled off a bunch of company names, right? And these are companies that people are familiar with. They're companies that people like. People love going to Airbnb rather than staying at a hotel. People love taking an Uber from, you know, going to a conference. And so people like these services, they know about them, they have good positive ID. I think what that's doing is it's acclimatizing the public to innovation. Hmm. It's it's getting people used to disruption and not just getting used to it in like a, okay, I'll tolerate this, but but they're excited about it. They like what what's happening. And so I think broadly speaking for voters, for the public, for um, media outreach and stuff, I think we have the benefit of having had to go through so many headaches. So we do this, you know, with Libertas Institute is it seems like every single year there is a company that is facing a regulatory battle. So we had Uber and Lyft that I mentioned, the $6,500. We had Airbnb that we dealt with last year. You did the food trucks. Food trucks trucks, that we did as well. We have the first in the nation food truck freedom law. Uh, There was one called Zenefits. Uh, There's this creative HR HR insurance company, uh, company, and they were illegal in Utah, Um, right? And so you have time and time again, uh, and Tesla, obviously. Uh, you know, is still illegal. And so it seems like this is happening enough. And even though it's taking a little while to figure out the legislative dynamic with Tesla, for example, it's still not legal. 
the the public clearly wants this, and mm-hmm. so it's going to happen. There's no way that these laws can remain on the books for much longer. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable that it's going to change. And meanwhile, people are getting Tesla. People yeah. are eating at food trucks. People are you know renting out their home illegally, and yeah. cities aren't enforcing it because they know it would be a PR backlash if they crack down with their stupid regulations mm-hmm. on something that people love. Yep. Well, I think in the in the end, because you you just made a statement that said people want this. And I look at that, and, and I don't know if it's if they specifically want the the service they just want cheaper and better right and in the end that's the nature of of innovation and that's i think in a sense the nature of human beings or at least entrepreneurs that are you know really looking at inefficiency they're looking at problems they're looking at things that are go you know they're becoming more expensive and figuring out a way to make them cheaper uh, with more quality but in the end you're always going to face those type of battles but i do i mean i I do agree with you i've always said that you know i think there's going to be this like kind of convergence of uh, innovation and government right where right now the government plays a role where you know they're kind of this you know protector of of our rights and protective of our yeah and and you look at that and and there's a degree of, of truth to it but at the same time you start to get into the weeds and ask what are they really protecting with all the different laws that they're making and really in the end i think that human beings are coming up with different technologies uh whether it's you know the ways in which you're rating uh, restaurants or rating services uh online uh yelp is you know one of, one of the more popular sure. ones for restaurants yeah if, if there's a rat a rat in the you know in the <laughs> kitchen right or there's bad food it's all it's all over those ratings and so you don't yeah. need necessarily licenses or cleanliness uh type of inspections right to determine whether there's good quality at that restaurant or not sure. right so i look you know going kind of into the the cryptocurrency because i think it's a good a good transition right i think as you look at what it what it's doing it's 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 fascinating right and i think that it's going so quick and there's so many derivatives of kind of the original crypto or at least the cryptocurrency that had blockchain associated with it yeah uh, but you look at you know really how quickly it's it's going what, first off maybe let's discuss w- why like why why has this uh, kind of I have I have a, a guy that I work with who's brilliant developer and he just loves he's loved it for for years and just try to got you know teach me a few things here and there and I'm all yeah. and I'm just like ah yeah but I but I look at the you know I've I've read a lot of the stuff that you know Jeff Tucker has talked about and uh, you know I've I've you know noticed news and so forth and I realize that you started to talk about it recently yeah what is what is the drive what is the drive behind it like what what are people trying to accomplish with using uh, either you know exchanging their money for Bitcoin or using Bitcoin for exchange? Oh, it's a great question. And um, I say this as someone who owns a little bit of it and wish I owned a lot more of it, <laughs> but someone who's been following the news uh, a while. There's, there's also, I mean, there's not just the, the technical aspects to blockchain and Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, but there's also the philosophical. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to what draws a lot of people. The philosophical is decentralization. It's, uh, this is a big word that I'll unpack, but it's disintermediation. So rather than having an intermediary, a bureaucrat or you know, a regulator between you and I, mm-hmm. we can disintermediate, mm-hmm. we can transact directly. And so the philosophy, a lot of the folks who are attracted to um, cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology are more libertarian individuals mm-hmm. who see that, well, yeah, down with the state, down with these regulators, we should be able to send value and, and you know, use this. And with Bitcoin, that was always kind of the vision and the purpose was just a transmission of value. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could do exchanges across countries, you know, for super cheap, instantaneous, secure. 
And the thing about the the blockchain with Bitcoin is you're transmitting little packets of data, basically, mm -hmm. right? So uh, Connor sends one Bitcoin to Pat on this date, you know, to this address. Okay, big whoop. The the potential, I think, is is something that's lesser known, but it's it's becoming increasingly well known, especially in the past couple of weeks, and that's called Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And so this is another blockchain technology. It's basically a, a cousin of Bitcoin, right? And it's a super smart Russian kid who came up with this after working on Bitcoin. And the way that Ethereum is different and the promise that it has for disruption. Bitcoin has had some disruption, but at the end of the day, it's very hard to find where to spend Bitcoin. If you buy some Bitcoin, where can you go buy gas? Where mm -hmm. can you, you know, stay at a hotel? In fact, this Expedia, was... Expedia, I know, does Bitcoin. Right, they, yeah. yeah. And and actually, so I was involved in a project a couple of years ago called uh, Life on Bitcoin. And this was some friends of mine who went, uh, they got married, they went on a honeymoon, and when they got back, we took all of their cell phones, credit cards, cash, everything else, and a documentary uh film crew followed them around for 30 days and they had to live only on bitcoin <laughs> so we raised about 70 grand on kickstarter yeah. to pay you know for this film crew to do the film they ended up extending it i think to like 90 or 100 days really they had to figure out how to pay for everything at home the rent gas food insurance everything else and then once they got comfortable there and f found people to, to accept Exchange bitcoin and so forth then they had to go on a road trip cross country so they had to figure out getting gas and food and hotels and then they had to go on international travel so they went to like Sweden, all using Bitcoin, right? Interesting. And so it's fascinating, but it's hard. Even even you know three four years later after that uh, film, it's still hard to do. And so um, is that film? Is it live? Or it's. Is it, I, I think they're about to distribute it. Okay, so, so it, it, hasn't been it went through yet. some marketing struggles and trying mm -hmm. to finalize it. I think it's Got especially it. with the newfound interest. I think they're really pushing yeah, absolutely. to finally get it out. So so okay, there's been some disruption there with Bitcoin, but really it's just this kind of interesting you know, monetary transmission thing yeah. that has very small appeal to a narrow set of people. Ethereum is different. Ethereum also has a blockchain, but rather than putting a little packet of data in there, Connor sends one, you know, Ether to Pat on this date, you can put programming language inside of the blockchain. The reason why that's important is that now you're completely decentralizing applications. Rather than me building an app on my computer and me storing your data on my computer, the, the programs run on everyone's computers on the blockchain. You're decentralizing programs, you're decentralizing applications, it's public, it's secure, it's open source, it's verifiable. So here's an example, right? You have Dropbox. Uh, a Dropbox has server farms mm -hmm. and you upload your stuff there and it's their software. Mm -hmm. um, there are competitors now on the Ethereum blockchain who are building decentralized versions where if you've got a terabyte free on your computer, you say, okay, I'll, I'll let you store other people's data here. It's all, it. it's all um, uh, secured. It's mm -hmm. all, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's all encrypted. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't read it or anything. And then they pay for it with storage tokens, these little sub Ethereum currencies. Uh, it's their the currency within the app. The reason why all this is important, the reason why there's disruption here, if you think of... Um, you're not that much older than me. I think we're kind of the same age. Mm -hmm. Back in the day when we'd play computer games, you'd buy it. Uh, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll consult after on your beauty products <laughs> and everything. Um, back in the day when we wanted to play a computer game, you had to go buy it from the manufacturer, mm -hmm. right? I'd go uh, buy um, StarCraft. That was the big one when I was you know, in high school, right? So you'd go buy it from Blizzard. And if you want, you know, if, if Blizzard or whoever was a publicly traded company, you could get stock in, in Blizzard. Why Ethereum is different is it's basically like investing or, or having a part ownership 
or a stake in the Apple App Store. They're creating a, a protocol, a, a marketplace, where individual developers are incentivized to come in and create their own apps. So it's not like Bitcoin where, okay, we have a blockchain and we have money and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Ethereum is different because it's also a blockchain. It also has a currency. But because it has programming language within it, you can include entire applications on this foundation. And so you're incentivizing a Dropbox competitor, a, um, oh, what's the other one I saw the other day? You have medical solutions coming on board where they're automating entire hospital uh, systems. Hmm. You have rent contracts, real estate folks, monetary folks. You have all these people finding real world applications to offer their products and say, okay, look, if you look at a flow chart for a business and there's these like 20 things, the paper has to go here and they have to certify it. Then it goes to these three people for signature. You can automate all of that within these programs and it's all secure it's all open and verifiable mm. it's efficient it's you know and, and so there's a whole lot of potential to actually revolutionize industry so in the past couple of weeks you've seen a lot of corporate interest bitcoin never had it was always the the dark web yeah. buy your marijuana or kill people you it's know the, or, yeah it was the it was the privacy angle that bitcoin yeah it's, really al- touted. it's always had the, that taint of the the dark web on it uh, Ethereum doesn't have any of that. Mm. Ethereum has had IGN. Uh, um, oh man, of course now I'm going to start listing them off. Like Toyota came on board. Microsoft oh. has come on board. Samsung, but they're uh, more inter- a bunch of other banks. But they're more interested in the marketplace side of things as opposed to the actual currency. Correct. Currency itself. They like right? the technology to to automate and make more efficient their own processes. Yeah. So so in some sense, you have competitors like this Dropbox competitor competing with an establishment folk uh, company. But then in some cases, you have the establishment itself saying, oh my gosh, we could reduce by 90% the friction of, of this process mm. by automating it, putting it on the blockchain. So these big companies are signing on. They've created what's called the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance. So there's like 100 plus huge multinational corporations coming together and saying, we really like this. This has some interesting potential. Huh. And that's why Ethereum's value and price is skyrocketing. Interesting. So so what is the, so how, how does the exchange work? So these companies, Toyota comes on and signs up or this Dropbox alternative or, or competitor, they go on there. Like how do they exchange with one another? Is there is their business valued? And given said, okay, th- for, for this service that we're offering, is it based on supply and demand or is it like a preset value or how does how does that work? So it's it's kind of different. What's been popular right now is you have an IPO for a traditional company, mm-hmm. but within the, the Ethereum slash blockchain world, you have an ICO and it's the initial coin offering. And they mm-hmm. say, okay, look, we're going to create 100 million coins and 20% we'll keep for the developers as incentives to get things out and we'll sell the rest. And we're going to do an initial value of, you know, five cents a coin Mm. or 0.001 Bitcoin or whatever they value it as. And so they publish a white paper. A lot of them sometimes have working product, you know, open source code that you can verify. So then you can decide, hey, is this worth investing in? Some of these guys, I saw one ICO the other day that raised, I think it was like 25 million bucks in five minutes. What's really interesting about all this for me from an investment perspective, and and my disclaimer here, not only do I not do this professionally, but I suck at investing. So (laughs) don't don't take any of my advice. But but all this is changing with cryptocurrency. and, And the reason why I'm fascinated by it is, from a traditional investment standpoint, if you want to buy stock in company X uh, in their IPO, you mm-hmm. want to participate in that IPO, 
um, a lot of the profit potential has already been eliminated by the venture capitalists mm-hmm. who got in early. Mm-hmm. Where there's risk, there's reward. They got on early, their shares are worth way more. And so you buy stock in IPO and okay, you'll get incremental improvement most likely, but the potential for a really accelerated you know, profit is, is in the early stages. That's why the ICOs are really interesting because it democratizes venture capital. Mm-hmm. No longer do you have these traditional firms and traditional processes and they you know eat up all of that, that profit to then recycle into gaining yet more profit in yeah. more companies. Now anyone can buy a little bit of a storage token in the early days. Anyone could have bought uh, or did buy Ethereum in the early days. I mean, I know computer geeks, right? These are the guys who kind of were the early adopters. Mm. I know folks who got involved early in Bitcoin. They're multimillionaires now, and they just heard about it and invested, and you know, off it was a you new go. technology. So I would, I would, so uh, as I've as I've looked at, you know, all of these. Uh, this is Ethereum. I've I have heard the name before. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't know there was a marketplace associated with it, and you had yeah. these different type of uh, public offerings, right? But looking at really the the relative value side of things, I mean, you still have a, you know, a uh, government sponsored currency as you know essentially the the clearing price for for everything that's the relative value sure so if you were to look at you know whatever uh an ether would buy or other whatever a bitcoin would buy it's all going to be relative to a stand a standard currency sure now looking at you know a different way to exchange i mean that that's i think that's brilliant i look at why especially libertarians are uh, frustrated with what's going on right now. Well, what's going on for you know hundred plus years, <laughs> right. right? With how currency is manipulated. But I think now because of the world becoming so much more uh, interconnected because of commerce, that you have a lot of exchange rates and you have governments kind of manipulating their currency just to make sure that you know they're they're making profit on their imports and and you yeah. know they're not getting killed on their exports. So it's one of those it's one of those things where I see the the need for it. But how as you've thought through like okay how is is this going to be a, a replacement, uh, and how does it go about replacing, you know, essentially what has become this ingrained tool? That I mean, psychologically speaking, I mean that people just use a dollar. They use and sure. and using something else is so foreign to them. How do you see that kind of our ingrained culture that has been so used to a way of doing things uh, transitioning into something like That's this? That's such a great question yeah. uh, because. Cryptocurrency will only be successful if my grandma knows how to use it, right? <laughs> and I think I think the way that you get there right now, it, it's I mean we're we're in basically the nets the the example that's most used within the blockchain world is that where we're at right now in terms of the technology and the development is we're in the early Netscape Navigator days of mm. the internet, okay. right? You've got this clunky software. It's it's allowing people who are savvy enough to know how to do it to interface with this internet thing. It's ugly. It's technically complex, Mm -hmm. but it's functional and it's potentially revolutionary. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at with blockchain. So it's going to get a lot more refined. You have to have a layer of abstraction. The fact that you can pull up your phone right now and access data on a computer a million miles away. My grandma has no clue how that works. It just works. Mm. And that's where cryptocurrency has to get and will get because people who are the developers right now recognize that mass adoption is only going to come through abstraction. Mm. It's not going to come if you know how to scan a QR code and you know what public and private keys are and you know what you know uh, blockchain is and what wallets are. That, ha- that will be the underpinning of the system much like TCP IP or HTTP or 
port 80, right? Those are the underpinnings of the internet, but no one has any clue about that. It's all behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And there are developers and smart people who know about that and work on it, but that's not what the public understands. That's where we need to be with cryptocurrency. What I think is interesting is when you look at these companies signing on, they recognize that they're not going out to their shareholders and saying, hey, we're going to do all this geeky stuff. They're just trying to improve efficiency. They're trying to increase automation and decrease Mm -hmm. costs. Mm -hmm. And when that's the message that gets to the end user of, hey, this, this is what we're doing. This is, you know, behind yeah. the scenes what's happening. I think that's when we're going to start to get closer to, to more complete adoption. We don't need grandma to know what her private key is to send Ether from her wallet to mine. Yeah. She needs, like, Venmo. Yeah. You, you just want to be able to go and say, oh, yeah, yeah, send some money over to Pat. Right? I, need, I need food, and here's what I have to exchange for the food. Right. That's essentially it. Yeah. No, I, I, so you look at really just the, the world from, a, from an economic standpoint and how and what role currency has most people were oblivious to that you know in years in years past but i think just the i don't know what it is but maybe news maybe some of the documentaries that are coming out a lot of the political campaigns uh, books that have been written have really kind of exposed how the monetary system works and it's still very complex for people where it's difficult to understand but they can see the results of it they see higher prices right even though we're innovating beyond belief which should drive prices down Prices keep going up in a lot of instances. Not all instances, but a lot of instances. So if you look really at the the reasoning behind that, it comes down to how pretty much everything in our society is is leveraged, right? Everything is based sure. on uh, a loan. It's a debt denominated debt denominated transactional uh, society. And you look at you know whether it's it was interesting. I was I was I was trying to explain this to someone the other day, and I just started using college and started using you know a car or a house, which are very common purchases for people, right? If there was if there was no debt, like if you couldn't get a mortgage, nobody could get a mortgage. It was, it was outlawed. How much would a house cost, right? Mm. Right. It wouldn't cost what it costs today because sure. today people buy a house based on what they can afford in a payment. Right. Right. Same thing with a car. Same thing with college. If you just like outlawed uh, college, uh, you know, college loans, right, college funding, then you wouldn't you would not have the prices of tuition because no one would be able to afford it's them. sustainable. Exactly. So if you look at really how prices have continued to go up and you start to peel back some of the layers, it's because of this debt-based society. And that's what's really interesting about uh, cryptocurrency and about you know all these different technologies that are coming out is that the only tie to debt that they have is the exchange with the dollar. Sure. Okay. Once that starts to be compromised, that's where I, I really see an interesting correction take place because if once you have really a, a, a currency right that doesn't have any type of debt backing that could be really that could be really interesting i think that's going to help society as, as a whole right because people have to continue to earn interest they have to continue to work more in order to be able to afford just the staple things which sure. you know all things being equal it should those costs should be going down because human beings figure out a way to make things better and ch- and cheaper right. and more and more available sure so have you have you had similar thoughts to that as far as like what that cuz i i look at that's kind of the the friction associated with a transition between you know where we're at today and where we could be in the future when it comes to a medium of exchange. And let, let me tie it back to Tesla. When we think about what anti what the lack of competition can do, it allows the entrenched 
players to increase prices, decrease decrease quality. You don't have the same incentive. I think we have debt-denominated money, but we also have no competition in money. The reason why they can get away with that is because they don't have to compete. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we had you know legalized competition in currency, they wouldn't be able to do that, yeah. much like college prices wouldn't be able to be jacked up so mm-hmm. high. It's because of lack of competition, the controls that government puts in place, um, that allows for all that friction to even exist in the first place. And mm. so the thing that I love about cryptocurrencies is that you know you can move around right now. You know, just the other day, I bought, um, I sold some Ethereum and I bought some Ripple and I sold some Litecoin and I bought Bitcoin. And as as their relative price is increasing and decreasing to one another, you can move around very easily mm. and you see what the market does. Um, and obviously markets impact uh, fiat currencies and, and each country's fiat currency is going up and down relative to one another. We understand that. But mm-hmm. even within an ecosystem, the benefit, the thing that I love, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm kind of an open borders guy in that borders are completely fictional and arbitrary. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of cryptocurrency because it's basically the opportunity to exchange value with anybody in the world. Mm-hmm. There's none of this arbitrariness in the way, none of this like, uh, you know, abstract dollar versus euro versus yen or whatever. And so I like it because there's competition. And if like right now, Bitcoin is having a big problem. You know, it's going up in price just because all cryptocurrencies in the past couple weeks have been going up because of all the attention that's been had. But Bitcoin is having some technological problems. And a lot of people have been selling their Bitcoin to buy Ethereum, which is the new upstart, you know, promising new kid on the block. Um, and so I love the the ability and the ease with which you can move between them. And, mm-hmm. and I agree that, you know, we got to get away from the, the dollar, um, de- the debt uh, denominated money. And I think the best thing we can do is force some competition on, on the dollar. And the more mainstream that cryptocurrencies get, I think that there's real potential. And regulators can't really do much about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know it's such an open system. It's it, it's not on one server. They can't go to Google and say, "Hey, shut that down." It's everywhere. It's on. They'd have to literally shut down the internet to stop cryptocurrency. And so, who knows? They might try something. They may. But <laughs> I wouldn't put it past. <laughs> but, that, but I look at it. It's, it's interesting just to see how how quickly our our just society is is evolving, and it's ex- it's exciting. I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future, but. I mean, whenever you have innovation, you have disruption. But what's awesome is that it's not a, uh, it's not a kind of a, in a uh, disruption in a closed, as you put it, ecosystem. It's it's like the the whole world because the whole world is really benefiting from a lot of these a lot of these innovations. And hopefully, that creates you know similar to the clout we talked about before. It creates the influence where something has to be something has to be done. So I, I sense that we're closing, so I want to add at least this note before we get towards the end. It's it's so easy with this this entrenchment, whether we're talking about Tesla or we're talking about you know taxis or we're talking about uh, hotels and you know all these people, these entrenched interests, they will always use fear. They will always try and paint scary pictures. They will always try and scare you about these edge cases that likely, oh, but what if that happens? And you know, what if like Josephine, what if you get a a meal and you get sick, right? It's always fear. And the opposite, the antithesis to fear is love. And Mm -hmm. so the way, the thing I like about disruption is you think of the the positive, the the love-based examples of how this new technology can benefit people's lives. Think of an immigrant who comes to America to work hard and rather have to spend 15% of the money that he's sending back home on a Western Union transfer fee. Mm -hmm. He can send all of it. Think about missionaries doing uh, humanitarian work in a third world country where there's huge mobile adoption Mm -hmm. um, and they can send a little Bitcoin and say, hey, go buy some uh, medicine in your communities, right? Mm -hmm. The the applications are huge Mm -hmm. and the, the potential for 
improving uh, our lives. You know, yeah, I mean, some people will suffer. I mean, innovation always harms the, yeah. the people who are clung to an antiquated model. But in the aggregate, there's so much opportunity for doing good. And that's what excites me is because we have a lot of inefficient systems. The debt is horrible. Mm -hmm. Like they're getting away with fleecing college students. There's all these bad things happening. Mm -hmm. And I like disruption because of the positive and the love-based examples that we can truly mm -hmm. help people. There's going to be people who try and stop us, but... Uh, you know, let's keep moving forward trying to help people. Well, I would all end all end with something similar, which is you know, it, I think with cryptocurrency, with you know, money, with because there's so many documentaries out there, so so many people talk talking about it. But in the end, really, what I what I look at is there's not much I can do to control what the future is going to hold as far as what I use to exchange uh, what I provide as value with somebody else who provides value. Mm -hmm. I know there's going to be something. And so the focus that I've, you know, really kind of settled on is, you know, if, if I'm valuable, if I learn, if I network, if I associate, then it doesn't matter what the currency is. As long as there's a currency, I'm going to be okay if I know how to create, create value. Uh, but in the end, I, I think that, you know, really it's, it's fascinating to see what a human being can do, what a mind can do, right? Just with, yeah. with everything, not just the cryptocurrency side of things, but the development of all, cause I've looked into it and it's just, it's, it's incredible how we got to this point in just the you know the the history of, of man right we Absolutely. go from like a hundred years ago hardly having electricity to now talking about things that you know people a hundred years ago we have no clue of even where to start having a conversation with us totally so it's 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 fascinating and i would say you know for some people it may be scary right because it's not sure. what's known it's not what they've experienced it's not what their you know uh, their experience has been for the last however many years but it's okay yeah. right it's cool accept it, it's going to happen and it, figure out a way to thrive and, and be happy with it. But that's what I would, that's what and I would even, say. Even the poor among us live better than Kings did a century ago, yep. right? The standard of living, like the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. And some people are going to be scared. They'll lose a job. They'll have to retool and figure something else out. But you're right. You invest in yourself. We're always going to be able to find a medium of interacting with one another. I really like that thought. Cool. All right, everyone. Well, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> Elegant. Elegant. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. 